my wife would yell at me for. That Pastor Jason did not want to come to Town Middle School. But I am also willing to bet a substantial amount of money that Pastor Jason was thankful that God provided us with a space. Because Camp Carl kicked us right the heck out. They told us, best of luck. Toodaloo. Go with God. Don't take any wooden nickels. And I'm sure Pastor Jason was sitting on the phone going, what? What do I do now? And I'm willing to also bet that he looked up to heaven and he said, okay, God, help me out. And I'm willing to bet the next phone call that he made when he called the Riftstown school system. He said, hey, guys, um, had a bit of an issue. Remember us? <laughs> Mind if we use your building again? And they said, yeah, sure, come on down, no problem. And how many days did you get that done? Two days. If that's not God, I don't know what is, right? That is how God is faithful to us. He gives us what we need. Not necessarily what we want, but what we need at that time. And what we need today is preparing us for our future tomorrow. Because had, he, had we taken something that he didn't want for us, that wasn't in our plan, could have thwarted everything, right? So we got what we needed, and that is how God is faithful to us, and that is why we cannot stop being faithful to him by following the Bible and doing exactly what he tells us to do. And that is why we ought to do our tithes and offerings, right? It is an extension of our worship. It is an extension of us being faithful to God. So we have a lot of ways here to give at Passion Community Church. We have the tithing one over there. We have passioncommunitychurch.com backslash give. You can set it up however you want it. Just make sure that you are giving faithfully, that you pray about it, and that you do exactly what God is commanding you to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you for the faith you put in us. We are going to be faithful to you. And Father, we are thankful that you give us what we need, not what we want. Because our wants, quite honestly, sometimes aren't that good. So Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to earn a living so that we can give back to you faithfully. Father, we ask that you bless our tithes and offerings. Multiply them so that we can continue to do the work here at Passion Community Church that you've laid before us. And Father, we ask this all in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. morning. A couple quick announcements and then I'll jump into my message. Um, the first one is that, uh, yes, we still do have a building campaign. Uh, yes, we are still doing that if you uh, are in a place and you want to uh, make a commitment to that building campaign you're more than welcome to do it either through the uh, tithing envelopes there you can write building campaign on that or even online if you do it online there will be a place that says building campaign there as well um, and then I just want to personally invite all of you to come out next Saturday to uh, to visit and to be with us as we have this uh, the second wave uh, session that we're going to be doing Saturday, and I uh, just want to invite you to come out and join. It'll be a great time of worship, a great time of prayer, and just uh, spending some time with other believers from across Northeast Ohio that'll be coming together, and uh, so just encourage you to come out and join with us. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to be starting in verse 11. So Nehemiah, as we have been talking about the last few weeks, Nehemiah has been walking and he's been going before the king. He was a cupbearer. He was given this blessing of being a cupbearer to the king, which means that he had an opportunity to go in and have a special relationship with the king. Nehemiah has this relationship with the king, and, and through that relationship with the king, he comes to the king and the king goes, what do you want? 
And Nehemiah tells him that he not only wants to go and help rebuild the walls, but he wants the king to send with him uh, letters of recommendation to the governors of all the provinces from there and, and before Jerusalem. And he says all of these things uh, before the queen at the same time. Now, last week I said that it's important that the, the message is marked that it was before the queen because uh, the queen actually often outlives the king. But in this particular case, after doing so, I, it was still percolated in my head. And I went home and I did some more research this week. And what I actually found out is that the queen, to, uh, to Artaxerxes, uh, Art thank you. It's right there in the tip of my tongue. I just couldn't get it to come out. Artaxerxes was actually Esther. So Queen Esther was the wife to the king, Artaxerxes. And because of this, now if you know the story, if you know your biblical, your Old Testament biblical history, you will know that Esther was actually a Jerusalem, uh, from Jerusalem. She was an Israelite and she spent much time, but she actually was uh, married to the king. And so that she actually had a deep compassion for the city of Jerusalem as well amazing connections in the story and as you dive in you see more of those things and so I just wanted to uh, add that little tidbit to what we were talking about last week. However this week what we're going to talk about is so now Nehemiah has been given the okay to go. Nehemiah has been given the ability he's been given the promise from the king that he can now go to Jerusalem and he can see about the walls in Jerusalem and make the changes that he needs to make there. And so Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 11 through 16 says, So I went to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. I went out by the night by the valley gate, to the dragon spring and to the dung gate, and I expected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate, to the king's pool, but there is no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up in the night by the valley, and I inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate, and so returned." And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and all and the rest who were to do the work. Basically, Nehemiah approaches the city, and in his head he has this vision that God has given to him. God has granted him this wonderful vision that he's going to go and repair the walls of the city. He's going to repair the gates. And so he has this vision, he has this idea of what's going on, but he has not yet told anyone. And so he, in the middle of the night, goes out to inspect the walls, quietly, goes out and inspects the walls and the, the gates and those types of uh, surroundings, the city of Jerusalem, to see how bad it was. It isn't until that time that I think Nehemiah actually finds out really how bad the walls were destroyed and how bad the gates were destroyed. He knew that there was much damage to the walls, and, but every gate that was around the city, was destroyed by fire. But Nehemiah did not pause. He did not stop and say, woe is me, Lord, how are we going to do this? How are we going to achieve all of this great vision and, and this grandiose plan that you've given to me? He didn't go out and he didn't start asking people and say, what am I going to do? What, well, how do I do this? What are we, where do we go? No, Nehemiah knew in his heart that God had sent him out to do this. And so he was planning to do what God had called him to do. What we find in this very first section of Nehemiah chapter 2 as we go through these verses is that Nehemiah had a plan to rebuild the walls. And his plan wasn't to go out and, and, and seek and, and see, but he himself was establishing this plan in his heart about what he wanted to do. I believe this alone time that Nehemiah spent walking around the city gates and the city walls was for him to spend time before the Lord going, Lord, what is it that I need to see? Give me a vision. Give me a, a, a completion of what it needs to be. Sometimes when we face an issue head on in our lives, sometimes we just need to take a step back and say, okay, Lord, let me see this. 
Build up the trust, build up the heart, build up my heart, build up my vision inside of me so that I can see the issue that's before me, but also see the goodness of God around me that I know I'm going to be able to overcome because you are with me. Nehemiah approaches the city of Jerusalem and rides around the city at night. And it's interesting, Nehemiah could have just stopped right there and started putting bricks on top of bricks, right? He could have been starting to clear things. He could have, he could have got right to work, but he doesn't. He spends his first evening walking around the city walls. And I believe, although Scripture doesn't say, I believe Nehemiah was praying at every step that his horse or his donkey, whatever he was riding at the time, was doing. Every moment of time that he walked around, I believe in his heart, he was saying a prayer to the Lord. Thank you for bringing me to this place, allowing me to have this opportunity to rebuild this, but Lord, help me to have this vision inside of my heart. Nehemiah prayed, but then he planned. Any good project has to have a good plan to be accomplished. You can pray all you want, and God will lead you and guide you, and he will direct you, but I believe Every good plan starts with a good, godly plan that he gives to us. And I believe this time that Nehemiah was spending as he was walking around the walls of Jerusalem was he was planning out how this was going to be achieved. The best way to overcome the torn down walls. What was the best way to repair the gates? Have you ever spent some time in your life to just say, I'm going to pause here for a moment and take a step back and look at my life and say, what part of my walls are torn down? You know, we often talk as pastors, let's tear down the walls, right? And we should. We should be tearing down the walls of racism. We should be tearing down the walls of anything that keeps us separated. But ultimately, these walls of Jerusalem were put up for the protection of the city. The gates were the openings where people came in and out. The gates are the place where they were coming in and over. I'm sorry. wearing the wrong shirt, Corey. There we go. How's that? Is that better? All right. The gates are the place in the city walls in the defense where you could come in and out, where you didn't have to stay in that place. You, you could come in and out of the walls. You could come in and out of the city. But with those ruined, anyone could come in and out. For us, as we look at this, this story of Nehemiah is not just a story. I've said this several times the last few weeks, and I'm going to continue saying this. The story of Nehemiah is not just about rebuilding the walls of a city. It's not about just rebuilding the walls around Jerusalem. It's about rebuilding a whole entire community. It's about rebuilding people. It's rebuilding Nehemiah. It's putting, back him, it's putting him back in the place where he should have been in the first place, in Jerusalem, leading that city. It's about leading the people that are in exile back into a city of Jerusalem where there's protection and they can be with each other. All of these rebuilding projects are happening because the Lord is leading them. My question to us today is this, is that have you ever taken a step backwards and said, well, I'm just going to pause for a moment. I'm going to look at my life and say, where at are my walls torn down? Where at are my gates burned down? Now the gates, as we talked about, uh, that we'll talk about here in the city, were the gates that things came in and out of the city, right? They're the protection, the place where if you're under attack, you put up the gates. You don't let anyone in. What happens in our lives when we look at this, we as in Ritztown don't have gates, right? In Ravenna, there's not a, a wall that surrounds Ravenna. In Ritztown, there's not a wall that surrounds uh, Ritztown. There's not these walls in our communities. But actually in our life, those walls become what are called guardrails to protect us from derailing off the good path that the Lord has sent us on. We do have walls in our life. We do have things that says, I cannot go this step. If you're an alcoholic, you don't want to go into the bar, right? You put up a guardrail that says, I'm not going to go there because I'm an alcoholic. And if I walk into a place that's serving alcohol, then I could get myself into trouble. So therefore, I have a guardrail not to go there. If you have a problem with something else, you put up those guardrails that protect yourself. But we, every single one of us in our lives, every one of you sitting here today, everyone that's listening to this message online, have gates in our lives. We have gates in our bodies. Our eye gates are one. What we see has an input to our minds. 
Our hearts are a gate. Sometimes our hearts are broken because someone did something to us. And that is a gate where something comes into us. Our mind gate, what we think, often changes. You know, you can often hear someone say that you can achieve or defeat someone by just changing their mind. If you can begin to think, that's one of the uh, ploys I believe the devil uses all the time to get to our mind and start thinking, making us think uh, depression or depressive thoughts and, and those kind of things and gets us into a place where we begin to doubt everything. There are gates in our lives, gates of our mind, gates of our eyes. Our mouth gate gets us into trouble all the time. Can I get an amen? <coughs> if you didn't say amen, you're lying. Because our mouths get us into lots of trouble. It's just one of those things. We say things that we shouldn't say. We do things that we shouldn't do, and we find ourselves in trouble. But we all have gates. We all have walls in our life. Nehemiah, when he talks about this, I love this story because if you read this story and you just go through this section that we just read, what are you going to think about? You're thinking about, oh, he's just going to rebuild a wall and he's going to rebuild these gates. There's much more to the story than what Nehemiah is just rebuilding a wall and rebuilding the gates. We're going to look at those today. Let's pause and pray and ask the Lord to be with us, and then we'll continue on. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have given to us the story of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the city. Lord, I ask you today that you would just guide us and direct us and help us to do your will today. Lord, you have put gates in our own life. We, all, we have walls or, or guardrails or those types of things that you put in our life for, te- for to protection, for protecting us from uh, the attacks of the evil one and for our own uh, sinful minds sometimes to keep us in line with you. And Lord, sometimes we have to take a step and we have to pause just for a moment, take a step back and say, okay, where in my life has the wall been destroyed? Where in my life has this gate been destroyed that I need to get back and build back up? Lord, I pray today that you'd call us to see this message that Nehemiah is sharing and how these gates and walls are rebuilt are actually a message of how we can protect ourselves from what comes in and out of the gates of our own lives and protect us from the things that are in our lives, Lord. Lord, pray, I pray that you give us clarity of thought and mind, that you open our ears and our mouth and our eyes and, and help us to hear from you and to see you moving in our lives so that we know that you are true and, and just how wonderful you really are. Guide us, Lord, today. Direct us in this place. We give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Nehemiah verse 17 says, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in now, we are in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burn. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king has spoken to me, and said, Let's rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Do you know that any good message, any good deed that God gives to us to do, does not do on our own? We can't do, God doesn't give you an idea, a vision, or an idea to do on your own. He wants you to involve other people and for other people to be involved. God's hand in all of these things, in everything that you see in Scripture, always involves someone else. You're not alone in the work that God has given to you. There's times, certainly, that we can feel alone. I can tell you there's been times in the ministry where I felt really, really alone. And I had to be reminded from other people, I had to be reminded that I am not alone. That there are other people in this work with me, that they're there, that they're buying into the vision that God has given us to go forward. But any work that you do for the Lord is not done in vain and it's not done alone. One of the often missed points in this book is that this Story, this idea, this plan, this vision, this rebuilding of the walls that Nehemiah does is not Nehemiah alone. In fact, what you're going to see in chapter 3 of Nehemiah is that there's so many people that come out to actually do a portion of the work. Not everyone does everything, but everyone divides the work. Nehemiah is, sees the work being divided amongst the groups of the people where they closest are to the gates and to the walls that they're at, and they begin to rebuild these walls and these gates. The simple fact is that God wants to use people to accomplish great things. It's not just the pastors, not just the elders in a church that achieve great things in a church. It's all of us together working for one vision for God and moving forward. 
I once heard this saying, a pastor with no help is just a man on a walk. <laughs> and that's true. A leader with no help is just someone out taking a walk. Whether you're in a church setting or you're in a business setting, if you don't have anyone following you, if you don't have anyone helping you, if there's no one behind you that you're pouring your life into and that they're pouring into the vision, you're just basically on a walk. Yes, there are some things that God wants us to achieve, and yes, there are some times that God will bring people in and out of your life to achieve those things. But ultimately, every plan that God has for us is not just for us to do alone, it's for God's people to be together. Nehemiah didn't have the skill set to do everything on his own. And even if he did have the skill set to do everything on his own, he couldn't have went out and did everything that he needed to do. He needed help. He needed people who were bricklayers. He needed people who were iron workers. He needed people who knew how to mix cement. He needed people who knew how to cut wood. He needed all of these people to come together. And not one of them was one person. You don't read the story and say there's one person that did all of the work. No, everyone combined together to do the work. It's an amazing story and a story that we should not forget. That even if you think you have the slightest gift that God has blessed you with, even if you think, oh, I don't do anything special, sure you do. The part you play is so important in the work of God. And when you step back and you don't participate in the work that God has asked you to participate in, what happens is that the wall goes left unbuilt and undone in that area. Each of us has a skill set that the Lord gives to us and wants us to continue on moving forward. We learn, first of all, that the people were willing to work Interesting, in, in the story of Nehemiah, the people were willing to go out and do the work. They were willing to jump into this vision, this idea of building the wall. And then second, we learn that they became involved immediately and started doing the work of rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah, in the wisdom that God had given him, set each of them to work the building, whatever part of the wall was nearest to each one of their own houses. They were personally involved in this work. Nehemiah, interesting story though. In both this story as he walks around the wall, and then in verse 3 as he starts talking about the rebuilding of the wall, he really spends a lot of time on the gates. As I thought about this as I was preparing for the sermon, I'm thinking, what are the gates that Nehemiah is talking about? Why does Nehemiah spend so much time talking about the gates? Now, I have already said that the gates are the place where we walk in and out of, right? When you go to a city that's fortified by a wall, there are gates and you come come in and out of those gates. But Nehemiah personally, both in Nehemiah 2 and Nehemiah 3, begin to make a recount of these certain gates that he's rebuilding. Now, if you're you just think that it's there for no reason, then fine. Nehemiah is just walking around the wall and he's naming these gates and they're there for, for whatever reason, right? I happen to believe that Nehemiah names these gates on purpose. That there's a bigger reason behind why there's so much energy and effort built upon talking about these gates. And much like the gates of the city wall, I believe that we have gates in our own life that we have to be really, really careful about what is the status of the gates in our lives? Are we letting things in that shouldn't be in the city? Are we letting things into our heart that shouldn't be in our heart? Are we letting things in through our eyes? Are we looking at things that we should not be looking at? See, the truth of the matter is, is as a child, as a child, a young adult, even an adult, we see things all the time. Unfortunately, today our world is built upon a, a couple of things. One is power, one is money, and the other one is sex, unfortunately. And everywhere you go, you see that advertised in marketing. You see that everywhere. In fact, anytime you pick up a magazine, anytime, well, magazines are pretty much out of the, out of the question nowadays, aren't they? I'm, I'm dating myself, I guess, aging myself. Anytime you look online, anytime you look at any type of advertising, you see what is being sold. It's not a kid's toy. It's being sold by one of those things. They're going to talk about the power. They're going to talk about the, the money aspect of things, or they're going to talk about sex in some avenue, way, or shape, or form. The problem with this is that when you let those things into your eyes, guess what? You never, it's hard to get rid of those things. What we see with our eyes and we experience with our mind, it's really hard to cast out. 
As a pastor, I'm sitting here telling you that there have been things that people have allowed to come into their, their eye gate, right? And it's changed them completely for the rest of their life. And for the rest of their life, they have trouble with that in particular area because they let something in through their eyes. There are people that I have conversations with that, that are just, in general, have allowed too much things into their mind gate, and they allowed their mind to cause them to become uh, depressed. They cause themselves to be ill thinkers, bad thinkers. They think everything's going to go to pot really quickly. They're just, in general, depressed people. Now, if you stop that gate and you stop what's coming into there and you stop the thinking in your mind, then you can look at something else. You can, you can move away from the depression to the joy. But you've got to become to over, you got to overcome those things in your, in your mind and in your eyes. I had a good friend one time. My wife and I had a wonderful friend, actually. She unfortunately grew up in a hard lifestyle, and a hard life, and she got addicted to drugs. And we spent uh, many nights as a young married couple ministering to this young lady who was just in high school. And I told her, I said, listen, what you let into your body, really hard to get out. When you start looking at drugs and you start talking about what you put into your body, if you start smoking cigarettes, guess what? It's really hard to stop smoking. Any of you that have smoked or smoked today, you know how hard it is to quit if you want to quit. It's hard to do that. You start taking drugs, and guess what? It's very hard to stop taking drugs, especially today, the drugs that they have. And I, I kept having this conversation with this young lady, and I kept telling her, I said, please, do not allow this in. This is a gate to the inner part of your soul. What you're doing is, by achieving these drugs, what you're doing is you're allowing this gate to be wide open and for the drugs to take control, but also, guess what else comes in when your gates are open? I don't want to scare any of you guys or any of those things, but when you open the gate to something like that and you allow something in, guess who's going to come in? If you're doing something bad, it's not going to be God coming in unless he's going to save you. You're allowing yourself to be attacked. And when we open ourselves in those ways, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's thinking, whether it's sex, whether it's pornography, whatever whatever it is that you're opening yourself to, what you're doing is you're allowing those things to come inside of you and change you forever. And let me tell you, from experience myself and also watching other people, it's very difficult to shut those gates once those gates are wide open. But Nehemiah tells us that we need to rebuild the gates. And I believe you and I need to start talking about rebuilding the gates of our own life. We need to look at this story of Nehemiah and say, are our walls broken down? Are our gates burnt? Have they crumbled down so much that the enemy is just freely coming into our life in any way or shape or form? What is it in our life that we have opened ourselves up to that we're allowing these things to flow inside of us and to change who we are? The walls of your life are broken down if your defenses have crumbled so that the enemy is getting it at you at every hand and you easily fall prey to temptation, then maybe your walls and your gates of your life need to be repaired. Maybe this isn't just a story of the walls of Jerusalem being rebuilt. Maybe this is your story of rebuilding those walls in your own life. Maybe this is your story of hanging those gates and rebuilding those gates so that nothing can come against you when the enemy starts attacking Nehemiah begins to talk to us about these gates, if you will, the gates of, of, of Jerusalem. And he begins with the sheep gate. And I began to think to myself, the sheep gate, of course, signifies the Lamb of God, whose blood was shed on the cross for us, and therefore it reveals the principle of the cross. The very first gate that, Jer- uh, that, Jeremiah, that Nehemiah begins to talk about is the sheep gate. Why would Nehemiah care about the sheep gate? Why would he care about making this the very first gate that he begins to talk about? Why? Because he knew the significance of rebuilding that gate, that sheep gate. The sheep gate in our life is really, again, the cross. The gate in which the sheep were, the sheep gate is the gate through which the sheep were brought into the city to be sacrificed at the altar. The reason why 
Nehemiah cares about this is because he knows that in the city to go forward, in order for them to have their sins forgiven at the time, they had to have a sacrifice of a lamb. And the only way to get that lamb in was through the sheep gate. And in order to get that sheep gate in there, they had to rebuild that wall. And so Nehemiah is going before that wall and before that saying, saying the sheep gate is a very important one because this is going to be where God leads us. As we ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins, as we begin to rebuild that gate, then we position ourselves before him. This is always and should always be the starting place to strengthen our lives. If you have found yourself in trouble, if you found yourself slipping, if you found yourself in a dangerous place or a place that you don't want to be because your life is not where you thought it should be or where you want it to be, then let's start here at this gate. Let's start at the gate where the cross intersects our life and says this is where we should be. We should be repairing that gate. That means i got to pick up my Bible and i got to start reading it. It means i got to drop to my knees and i got to start praying. It means I need to worship God for what he has done for me. That is the gate that gives us power to do everything else. Nehemiah started with this because he knew that if they got this right, it would help further the cause of every other gate in the city. And so he started with the sheep gate. The second gate that he goes to is the fish gate. The general and logical assumption is that this gate was near the fish market of Jerusalem. In came the fishermen with their catches prepared for transport and sale by salting or drying. Being on the north wall of the city, the nearest side to the city, the nearest side of the city to the Lake of Galilee, it was convenient for those bringing in fish and also convenient if anyone came from the Jordan or from most parts of the Mediterranean coast. This gate was the gate that most people who did not live in Jerusalem came in from. This was the gate where strangers, where foreigners would come into that gate because they would most likely come to the city by the, by the uh, Sea of Galilee and they would come in through that way. And so because they came into that way, that became the fisherman's gate because that's also where the fishermen would come in. Now, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, I guarantee you that you know a symbol that you see on certain cars. You ever seen the fish symbol in the back of cars? I'm not talking about 95.5, the fish, right? We all love the radio station, and if you listen to it, that's great. But no, there is an actual symbol of a fish. And that symbol is said to be the symbol that Jesus draw, drew in the sand to encourage his disciples, to encourage them to go out and witness to the world. Jesus also says something very similar to his disciples in Mark chapter 1, verse 17. Follow me, and I will make you what? Fishers of men. And you're telling me that this is coincidence? No, sorry, it's not coincidence. This was done on purpose. Nehemiah knew the importance of this gate because this was where the the foreigners would be coming in. And so therefore, if his faith was going to rule and they were going to control the Christian message that was going in here, they had to rebuild this wall. They had to rebuild this gate so that when the gate came in, there could be people there witnessing to them as they came in. And it was also a resource for food. Interesting that Jesus uses the same symbol of fish and calling his disciples to be fishers of men, but also fish was the, the mainstay of their meals. It was their food. If this gate has been broken down in your life, this defense has fallen you will find that the enemy will enter again and again through this gate in your life. He will send people questioning your faith and he will send people that will make you question your own faith and he'll send people that just make you set, you take a step back and you're looking at this going, am I really supposed to do, how am I supposed to share my faith? I don't know what I'm supposed to say. No, God gives you the words to say. This fish gate is the gate of Christian witness where our witness of who we are and what we're supposed to be about is displayed for all the rest of the world to see. It was not only important at the days of Nehemiah, but it's important today as well. The next gate that he talks about is the old gate. The old gate you'll find in verse 6. What does this gate symbolize? Well, I suggest to you that today it represents truth. What is the oldest thing on the earth today that we talk about? Scripture talks about the oldest thing on the earth today is truth. 
One of the things that we talk about today is that the, the truth is still, uh, is still today. When, when you hear someone say, oh, that's just the way they've always done it. No, that's the truthful way, the way that it needs to be done. It's not because it's an old way, it's the way. Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. But the old gate was this gate that was in the city. It was the oldest gate of the wall. It was the first one to be built. But it was also the most reliable gate in the city. Do you understand? That was a really interesting thing. Before the walls of Jerusalem were torn down, the most reliable gate was the oldest gate built in the city. Why? Because they could trust on it. They could trust that no matter when they opened those gates, that it wasn't built on some new technology. It wasn't built on anything. It was built on the old standard principles that still worked to that day. So when Nehemiah comes and he begins to rebuild these walls, he's going back and he's rebuilding, first of all, the, um, he's rebuilding the sheep gate, and then he's rebuilding uh, the, um, the fish gate, and now he's rebuilding the old gates of truth. Today, somebody has well said that whatever is true is not new, and whatever is new is not true. I once heard someone say, if you think that you have learned something new, you most likely have not. Someone in this course of history has learned the things that we're facing. Now, I do understand that today as we look at these things and we look at technology, technology is advancing at such a high rate. There are new things that we are experiencing, but they're still built upon old principles. They're still built on good, true principles. Many say they are saying we don't need these things anymore. We don't need the truth. We don't need the old things. Just let them crumble. But the truth of the matter is, if I can use that word, that these are the things that we're supposed to build, build, build our life upon. Jesus says the way, the truth, and the life. We're supposed to build our lives upon the truth. I once heard this story about a fellow one day who went to visit an old musician and he knocked on the musician's door, Corio like this, and said, what's the good word for today? The old musician didn't say a word. He turned around and went back across the room to where, he was, where a tuning fork was hanging and he took the tuning fork and he struck it with a hammer. The musician said, that, my friend, is the note A. It was an A yesterday, it was an A 5,000 years ago. It will be an A 5,000 years from now. Then he added, the tenor across the hall sings off key. The soprano upstairs is flat on her notes, and the piano in the next room is out of tune. He struck the tuning fork again and said, that is an A, and that, my friend, is a good word for today, because it is the truth. We apply that principle to our life, then what we can apply that principle to our life is that the truth that was 2,000 years ago or more is still the truth today. It doesn't change. May I caution you that if you hear someone preaching on TV or the radio or somewhere else that says, I have new truth, there is no new truth. All the truth that we ever need is built right here, is right here in the scripture. There are no new truths. You cannot look at scripture today and say scripture says this when thousands of years ago it always said this. Today, many people are trying to take Scripture and saying, oh, we need, to, we need to just twist it a little bit, and we need to make it say what we want it to say. And, and because of the world around us is changing, and people say this, and, and, and there's these kind of genders, and there's this kind of uh, marriages, and there's all kinds of this. Okay, no, the truth is still the truth today. It doesn't mean that we don't love those people. It doesn't mean that we don't work with them. It doesn't mean that we don't share the gospel of Christ with them. It just means the truth is the truth today. It has always been for thousands of years and will always be for a thousand years more until God returns and reigns. The next gate that he goes to is the dung gate. <laughs> you need help understanding what the dung gate is, I don't know that you're in the right place because I can share with you that the dung gate is where the rubbish was cast out. That is where the gate that opened up and you threw your trash out, amongst other things. Inside the city, there is many sheep, there's many horses and donkeys and those types of things. And there's one thing for sure that a sheep and a donkey and a horse does, and you know what that is, right? You feed it, and then something else is going to come out. 
That's something else you don't want to keep in the city. You need to get rid of it. Why is this important? Why does Nehemiah talk about this? Because he knows that if he does not rebuild the gate, the dung gate, what happens is the rubbish begins to build up inside the city. And what happens if, well, can we say byproducts build up inside of a confined space? It's not pretty. It stinks. It smells. It can be dangerous. I once spoke uh, uh, <laughs> years ago. I had what's called a pollenidal cyst. I don't know if anyone has ever experienced those before, but it's basically where a hair grows the wrong direction. And they're usually located somewhere on your lower back area. And so I had one years ago that needed to be surgically removed. And funny or not, I went to a doctor, and his name was Dr. Butvin. I kid you not. And on his door it says, Dr. Butvin is tops on bottoms, which I thought was really funny. So, but one of the most terrifying things that ever happened to me in my life is that they gave me medicine to put me to sleep so I didn't have to be awake during the surgery, and it did not work. The anesthesiologist came in two, three times to give me this medicine, and every time they gave it to me, I just was like sitting there going, am I supposed to be sleeping? And they're like, yeah, you're supposed to be sound asleep snoring right now. And so the doctor comes in and he goes, listen, Jason, there's only two options. The first option is that we uh, tell you to go home and you come back in a couple weeks and we try the surgery again because we've given you so much anesthesia, we can't do the surgery in the next few weeks. I mean, it's going to be like a month or two before we get to the surgery. He goes, or we can take you in, we can do what's called a saddle block. I don't know if you've ever experienced one of those. Most of the ladies who have kids years ago know what a saddle block is. That's where they actually... Uh, paralyze you from your waist down by injecting something into your spinal cord. And I said, well, that sounds like a better option, I guess. <laughs> and so he does this. The problem with this is that during my surgery, I'm wide awake. And so I'm awake during the surgery. I'm laying here on the, I'm laying on the operating table, having a conversation with the doctor who's doing my surgery. And of course, the doctor who's tops on bottoms has one thing to talk about, and that's bottoms, Right? And so he's telling me this story about how important it is for us to have <laughs> backsides that get rid of the material that comes through our body. And he's so passionate about this. And he goes, do you understand that if you did not have a backside, if you did not have somewhere to go to the bathroom, you would die. Because what happens is that it becomes, <laughs> I'm sorry, we're all going to get ready to go eat lunch and here I'm talking about this, right? <laughs> sorry. But the truth of the matter is things build up in your body and they, and they, they cause it, it, your, your, your dung gate, if I can use that word correctly, gets rid of the toxins. It, get rid of, it gets rid of the things that you eat. It gets rid of all those bad things. And he proceeded to tell me, he goes, you should, you should, he goes, you're a Christian, right? Because we had been talking about that. I said, yes. He goes, you should be thanking God every day that you have a butthole. That's, excuse me for my, for my language, but that's exactly what he told me. He said, I'll take your, I'll take your, I'll take your, your word in it. <laughs> The refuse that builds up in our life. Those things need to get out. Now, what I'm talking about, obviously, is physical, but I'm also talking about spiritual. I'm talking about mental. I'm talking about everything else. You don't want to hang on to those bad things in your life. You need to get rid of them. You need to have a healthy, healthy bowel movement and get rid of those things that are causing you rubbish inside of your life. Get rid of those things. When you start to realize that you're doing something bad, get rid of it. Cast it out. Send it out of that gate. That's what we need to do. That's what God calls us to do. Let's move on. The next gate is called the valley gate. The valley gate is the humble gate. Humility and statue and location, it becomes not only the favor gate for many, but also a very needed gate. The next gate is called the valley gate. As I said, it is one of the most unassuming gates in the whole entire city. If you looked at the city of Jerusalem and you walked up to the valley gate, what you would see is the most unassuming gate that you would ever see. There was nothing special about it. There was no ornate decorations around it. There was nothing. It was just this humble gate that was there providing its work, doing what it was supposed to do. Every single day. It was also in the lowest part of the valley. And so when people came in and out of that city and out of Jerusalem and they'd come through the valley gate, most of the people that would use that valley gate became, were the citizens of that city. 
the cities of Jerusalem would use the valley gate because it was an easier gate for them to get to their pastures and to get to the places where they were going. It was in a valley. It was very often not used by anyone else other than the city, the people of the city. It was humble. Humility in our life is very important. God calls us to be humble of hearts. God has said in almost every page of Scripture that he is against the pride of men. It's, in fact, many times we find the pride of men that causes things to go wrong very quickly. The pride of the Israelites, the pride of the disciples, the pride of all of us. It's when we get so prideful that we begin to say things and do things that we should not do. Jesus looks for the lowly and the humble, the contrite, and those who have learned that they are not indispensable, that they are not rich. They don't need to be because they have Jesus. They have God on their side. It is the attitude that he seeks. The valley gate often needs to be repaired in us because sometimes we allow our pride to get the better hand of ourselves. We have to remember that we are just, we're not special. Okay, maybe we are. Some of us in this room are special. I get it. But we're just blessed because we found a God who loves us, and who guides us and leads us. We're not better than anyone else. I would never stand up here on this altar and say, I'm better than any church in this city or any surrounding church in any of this community. Why? Because I'm not. I have Jesus on my side and that's all I need. I don't have to be better than the church down the street or across the street or wherever it is. I just need to be in God's will, doing his will. I need to be humble of heart. He's used me and wants to use all of us together. When we let go of our pride, when we let go of what we think is important and we begin to look at the ministry as something that we all need to be doing together to have a humble heart towards us, then that's when the gospel will really be spread in this community and the communities around us. We stop saying that we're the best. I don't do that. I don't do that kind of work. Yes, you do. If God calls you to it, you do it. We're called to be humble. We're called to be mindful of those things. Put pride to the side and be humble of heart. The next gate that Nehemiah talks about is the fountain gate. The fountain gate should remind you instantly of the words that Jesus said to the woman at the well. The water that I shall give you will become in you a spring of water, a fountain welling up to eternal life. It speaks of the Holy Spirit which is in the river, or is the river of life in us, the following of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. It enables us to obey and to do the word of God. This spring of water, this water gate, if you will, the fountain gate was a very special gate because that is where they would go and get the water that would survive and make them be able to survive in the whole entire city. It is the gate that you would go get your drinking water from. It was the very gate that people would fill their cisterns with water. Some say it was the very uh, place where, where people would live and die because they'd want to be right by the water. The water of wealth, the water of uh, that was flowing. It was a, this special gate, a special fountain that flew that uh, flowed forward to us. This fountain gate is important not only in times of Nehemiah, but it's important for us. How is God moving in your life today? Are you relying on the fountain gate? Are you relying on Him? Are you relying on the things that He has given to you? Are you going back to Him and asking Him to be refreshed? Or are you just relying on the way that you have always have been and always will be? God calls us to rely on him to get a refreshing, a new fountain gate, if you will, to continue drinking out of there. The next gate is the water gate. The fountain gate was a flowing of water, a flowing of water that came forward. And what would happen is that this water would flow out of this fountain and it would be transported down to a bigger area of water that would be kind of a holding pond of this water. And there was a gate there and it was the water gate. Now I'm not talking about water gate in Washington, D.C., right? Don't go there. Sorry for those that have no clue what I'm talking about. One day you'll learn it in history. Um, But Watergate, this Watergate that they're talking about, that that Nehemiah is talking about, is the gate, the place that was always, there was water always there. You could take your animals there to drink. You could take and you could receive water there. Interesting though, 
about all of this because this is the only gate that Nehemiah says does not need to be repaired. There's no mention of it being restored, repaired, or replaced. The only gate out of all of them. I don't know about you, but when I think of the water gate, I think, when I think of water and I think of that, I think of the Word of God. The Word of God doesn't break down. The Word of God never needs repaired. The Word of God never needs to be restored. It just needs to be re-inhabited into our lives. And that's what Nehemiah did. He went down to make sure that the water gate was still working and that it was still doing the purpose that it was supposed to do. And luckily, what he found was that it was still doing what it always had been called to do. The next gate that he talks about is the east gate. The east gate was the gate of hope. The east gate faced the rising sun, and it is called the gate of hope. Jerusalem actually called this the gate of hope. It was the gate that they they would look towards when the sun would rise. When the city was under attack thousands of years ago from today, but uh, years before Nehemiah approached, there was people that ran to the east gate and they were looking for the sun to rise because it was going to save them from the Babylonians and not destroy the city of Jerusalem and the gates around it. And so they went there looking for the hope. They looked for this rising sun that was going to come. It was a gate of great anticipation of what was yet to come. When all the trials of life and the struggles of the earth will end, the glorious new sun will rise on that day. One day, Jesus is going to come back with a rising sun. All of the trouble that you and I face today, all of these things that we've gone through, one of those days, one day, we're going to hear the trumpet call and we're going to see the sun rise and we're going to be so excited for that day. I remember some time ago, I was having a really hard evening it was a night that I could not sleep and my mind was running wild and I was thinking about all these things. My wife was away at, a, uh, I think, either a music trip or a, I, I can't remember. She was gone for the day, so I don't sleep well when my wife is gone. I'm laying in bed, I'm just laying there and I'm thinking of all of these things and I'm just overly concerned, feeling under attack and I'm praying and I'm praying and I, I, I just remember, if the sun would only rise, it would make the day better. Ever laid in bed and you imagine all of these bad things that could happen and you imagine things that are outside lurking in the dark? Yes, even as a grown man, I think of those things sometimes. But I'm laying there and I'm praying against all of those things and I'm awake almost the whole entire night and I can't tell you what joy it brought when I saw the sun break the eastern sky. And it brought light to us. It's the same way that the East Gate did for those people of, uh, of Jerusalem. It was a protection. It was an excitement. The East Gate was the gate of hope. What I want to encourage you today is that we need to make sure that we are always hanging on to hope. No matter how bad your life is, no matter what you're going through, Jesus is still reigning and he will come back again someday. No matter what you're going through, whether the bills seem undaunting or the trouble in your family seems like there's so much trouble, whether the doctor comes in and gives you health, uh, a bad health report, it doesn't matter. There's always hope. And we always have to keep our eyes focused on that because Jesus is hope. He's a hope that we can overcome all of these things. Jesus wants us to rely on him and that hope. The next gate that Nehemiah talks about was the horse gate. The horse gate was the gate of warrior, if you will, the warrior to fight the spiritual battles we face. This was the gate that held all of the, the, the symbols of war for that city. It was the gate of where the protection of outside that gate would begin. It was where the horses were held. If you remember correctly, when Jesus is returning to Jerusalem after he spent his time, right before Passover, everyone expected him to return on what? A white seed entering into the city. The Jewish people were looking for Jesus to return on this great white horse because that was a symbolism of warrior. It was a symbol of conquer. He was coming in to conquer and overthrow what was going on. What did Jesus do? He came in on a donkey instead. But we need to understand that there's sometimes in our lives... See, all the other gates in our life can be built up and they can be closed and they can be protected and they can be all of those things. But if we don't stand up and say, you know what? I'm fighting against you, devil. I'm not going to take what you have to say. I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to believe you. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to do all those things. I'm going to war against you. It's not with flesh that we fight. The spiritual principalities 
that we come against. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that against these principalities, against the powers, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places, that is where the battle is at. That's where it's at. We need to stand up and say, make sure that our gate, our horse gate is ready to go and that we're ready to fight against the devil and that we're not going to take anything that he throws against us. That horse gate better be repaired in your life. The next gate that we come to is the muster gate. The muster gate was literally, the muster gate, if you interpret it, it literally means the examination gate. This was evidently the place where judgment was conducted. This is where people would be examined, whether they were sinful or whether they were wrong. That's where the lawyers would be, the judges would be. That's where they would come against, they would go to court in that area. However, I think today that means we need to use this gate in our own lives so we step back and we say, okay, how am I doing? We need to stop and evaluate our lives. How am I doing? Let's be truthful with ourselves. One of the things that always happened at the muster gate was that the truth had to have been told. Today, when we go to court and they, they say, put your right hand on the Bible. You remember when you do that? You put your right hand on the Bible and you have to raise your hand and say, the muster gate was very similar to that. It was the gate of examination. All of these things, all of these gate ends with this. Brings us back again to the part of the chapter where Nehemiah once again mentions the sheep gate. Isn't it interesting that Nehemiah starts with the sheep gate and he ends with the sheep gate? May I encourage you to understand that the cross must be at the beginning and the end of every life. In this beautiful way, the book of Nehemiah is teaching us what it needs to be done for us to strengthen the walls and the gates of our life. Today, some of you have to stop looking at the things that you're looking at, and you need that gate closed. Some of you have to choose to follow Jesus in a different way, and that sheep gate needs to be rebuilt. Some of us need that warrior gate built and, and repaired. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. But all of these things, these gates that are in our lives, God places these things in our life for you and I to be have them in there for a reason. God wants us to be protected from the attacks that are going to come on us in our lives. But the gates are the open ways that we either open ourselves to or close ourselves to. I could go so many different places with this sermon right now because I could say, listen, if you're going home and you're reading the horoscopes every single day, that's not good things. You're opening those gates. If you're going home and you're lying and you're gossiping, you're opening up a different gate. If you're going home and you're turning on your computer and you're looking at pornography, you're opening up that gate. You're changing your mind. Do you understand? If you're going home and you're taking drugs, you're opening that gate and you're allowing things into your life. These gates that are in our life need to be rebuilt and they need to be built up strong because God wants us to live a life. And I believe the story of Nehemiah and the reason why he calls out each one of these gates is because these were the gates that Nehemiah knew that not only the city need to have rebuilt, but that we all need to have rebuilt at the same way, at the same time. And that way, when you rebuild these gates and you rebuild these walls of your own life, then you can have a successful city that grows and thrives inside of those walls. Because the gates and the walls are doing what they are called to do. Will you stand with me, please? Can I ask you to go to the muster wall, the muster gate for a moment? If you remember correctly, the muster gate was the gate of examination. It was the gate where we had to examine our life to say, where am I at? Maybe today when you're examining your life, you're seeing that you don't know Christ. And that is the problem. If you don't know Christ today and you're in that place, then let's examine our life and say, I need Christ in my life today. Maybe you're going to this muster gate, you're going to the life of examination, you're taking a step back and saying, I've done things, I've seen things that I shouldn't see, and so therefore I need to shut those gates. Whatever gate that you see, God will lay on your heart. And I believe he already is, the Holy Spirit, I believe, is already working inside of each and every one of you. And he's placing on your heart the gate that you need to rebuild right now whether it's a spiritual gate like the sheep gate that everything begins and ends with a cross or it's the fountain gate the Holy Spirit flowing in your life or the word gate the word of God needs to be rebuilt in your life whatever gate it is may you pray today and ask the Lord give me the vision of how do I repair and rebuild that wall 
And then just like Nehemiah, when you decide to rebuild that gate and you decide to rebuild that wall of your life, you're not alone. That's what a church family is all about. Nehemiah went back to the people of the city to say, listen, these gates need to be repaired and I need your help. And people jumped in. Today, if you have a gate that needs to be repaired, there are people here that want to jump in with you, that want to help you, want to see those gates restored, want to see those gates build up again so that you can walk fully in the will of Jesus, what God wants for your life. Will you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for what you have done. We thank you for the story of Nehemiah and the gates. And Lord, we as we go over these gates and as we remember these gates, Lord, may you open up our eyes to see the gates of our own lives. The gates in our lives that need to be repaired. Father, what are we letting in through our eyes? What are we letting in through our words? What are we letting in through our thinking? What are we letting in through our heart? What are we allowing to flow into us that should not be there today? So, Father, I pray that you speak to each and every one of us. And, Lord, even if there's someone here that's never given their life to you, that's never accepted Jesus, you, Jesus, as, your, as their Savior. May today be that day. We believe Romans 10, verse 9, it says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that you can have everlasting eternal life. So today that offer is to you by just saying, forgive me my sins. Come into my heart. But more importantly, Lord, not more important, there's nothing more important than that, Father, but in the same way, Father, we ask you that you open our minds Open our hearts to the places of our lives that need to be repaired, those gates that we need to shut, walls that we need to build up, fortify in you, calling us to do those things. Be with us today, Father. Help us. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here today that would like to begin to rebuild those gates, that would like prayer to help them in those areas, may they come forward, Father. May they not be embarrassed. May they not be shy. May they come forward and ask one of us pray with them, so that we can begin to see those gates we build in our lives. Glorify you, Father, we honor you, and praise you, God. And let's worship together. to the Father, falling to grace, and done with
doesn't matter how many times you've run into the Father. It doesn't matter how many times you've asked him. What matters is this time. I ask you before you leave today that you just one more time those gates of your life to make sure that you're not walking out of this place with a gate that needs to be repaired. And as you leave this place and you go forth, maybe this week the Lord will just continue to open up your mind. Open up your heart to see those gates. It's okay. Listen, we all have gates. Every city had to work on repairing their gates. The gates didn't just stand up there and take care of themselves. No, they had to be repaired. They had to be worked on every single day of every single year to make sure that they worked correctly. Same way with our lives. So, Father, I pray here today. I pray for each and every single person that's here and that's watching online. May they receive your love. May they receive the blessing of knowing that they can run to you again and again and again and again and again. It doesn't matter how many times they fall. It doesn't matter how many times they slip. What matters is how many times they get up and keep walking forward. And so, Father, I ask you today, let them walk forward. Let them come closer to you. Let them see the gates of their lives that need to be repaired, the ones that you are calling out, the areas of their lives that you have said, this needs repaired in your life. You those walls. Help us today, Father, to see that. Help us have vision and clarity to see those places that need that repair. Lord, we'll thank you, we'll glorify you, and we'll honor you because you deserve that so much more. We love you, Lord. Help us today and every day. God bless. Have a wonderful week. We'll see you again next week.